Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Consider This. Please let me know what you think and tell others about us on social media. This podcast was originally broadcast live on Northumberland 89.7 FM. You can hear this show live every Friday at noon. Thank you for downloading this program, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, I'm Robert Washburn, and welcome to Consider This Northumberland, a current affairs program dedicated to the issues facing our community. We talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So I'm asking you, the listener, to take some time out of your busy day to consider this. Without wasting any time, here is Grit Cole, candidate for Mayor of Alnwick Haldeman. I'm so pleased to have with me today Grit Cole, candidate for Mayor of Alnwick Haldeman, Welcome to Consider This Northumberland. Well, thank you very much, Rob, and I'm very pleased to be here. There may be some people who don't know you, so let's begin with you introducing yourself as a candidate for mayor of Alnwick-Haldeman. Okay, we, my husband and I retired to Alnwick-Haldeman in 2003. We absolutely love it here. We have embraced the community. I began volunteering immediately when I moved here, and I haven't stopped. And I started uh, doing my what's called activism, ABC activism, but I prefer to call it advocacy. I have been an advocate on behalf of residents and taxpayers in our township and in other townships nearby and across the county with very positive outcomes. And I, once the newspapers dried up, I kind of became one of the main media sources for council news because there just wasn't any council news being reported on in the smaller municipalities. So that's that in a nutshell is what I've been doing here. As you acknowledge, you've been a very vocal activist and I wonder how that impacts your ability to be a good politician. (laughs) Now you're going to the other side. Uh, So um, activist is not really what I would use. I would use advocate. What I do is I don't go and I stand in front of town hall or in front of the parliament buildings and protest and yell and scream. That's not what I do. What I do is research thoroughly any topic or issue that comes up. I make sure that I know what I'm dealing with before I go forward on behalf of any person that I'm helping with issues. And I've helped with many issues. So I would like to say I'm more of an advocate and I believe in fair treatment of taxpayers and and citizens. And guess what? Taxpayers and citizens sit on the other side of the table too. In the past, I never thought I would ever have gone for a council position, but the way I look at local council is it is not a partisan body. It should be there for the people. It's the grassroots of our communities and should be there to look after the people where they exist and and live and work and play. And it should not be based on uh, any particular political party. So uh, I would be exactly the same person if I were to become mayor as I am now. I still believe in taking care of people and helping people where I can. And I would not change that for one minute on the other side. But isn't it a bit different when you're a politician? I mean, to be, and I'll use your term then, an advocate, you can make a critique as you make your presentations, as you present your information, versus, say, working within the constraints of the system. Isn't there a difference 
And doesn't that change uh, how you behave or your efficacy? I don't really think it does, Rob, because above all, I believe in the truth. And I believe that residents need to know the truth. And if the major issues are kept for them, as has been happening in our own township, then people are, are caught unawares when something major happens and they get all out of sorts because they're, they're, not, they're not understanding what's going on and why weren't we told this? And so I believe in open communication. Playing a politician, I, you know, I just come from a base of always being honest and open. And if I'm going to say something to somebody, uh, it better be something that I can say to the person if I'm talking about someone else. So I'm not going to go and make comments behind people's back if I can't say to them up front first. So, and I've had that, I've done that. So a politician, I don't consider myself a politician. I consider myself an advocate, an honest, fair person, and I would treat everybody with respect the same, whether they're uh, provincial, federal level politicians that I have to deal with, or staff of county or wherever. I would, I would treat people with the same respect and openness that I do. When you sit as a politician around the council table though, um, you have a responsibility to staff, you receive information, some of it are not always uh, that can be made public. Um, there's a, there's a, a number of things that go on, you know, they have media policies and who gets to speak on behalf of council, etc. How do you intend to, to deal with that then? And uh, in, in just the light that you've just described of, of how you want to be able to be transparent and accountable. There's always things that have to be done confidentially. I have helped many residents with issues that have never come forward to the public at all. I have gained the respect of senior staff members and other council members across this county because I have proven and demonstrated that I have the ability to maintain confidentiality where it is appropriate. So I would never I would never divulge something about someone if they haven't told it to me themselves. And if I know it to be confidential, it's not going to be made public. So I respect that. And there are things that should be confidential, but there are things that we could know a little bit more about without uh, breaking the bonds of confidentiality. It's all about communication. But I know on many councils in Northumberland, there are policies that say there's only one spokesperson. The mayor speaks for the municipality. Will you be encumbered then because of, of traditions and policies that, that limit uh, or create, sorry, I don't want to say limit, maybe create a, an environment where there's only one spokesperson publicly on behalf of the municipality? No. And as a matter of fact, if, um, if I'm mayor, there may be someone else that should perhaps be the spokesperson on a particular topic. And I would be more than willing to uh, hand that gauntlet over to that person because why should I speak about something that I'm not the expert on? And if, if I feel that it's an important enough item that needs to be brought forward, then the person that's right to speak on it will be the one to speak on it. And that includes I the can counselors. follow policies. Pardon? But that includes the counselors, yes? Absolutely. Okay. I believe in a team. And so, so I want to be clear on that now, because that's actually an important point you raised there, Rob. To me, the role of mayor 
It's not the boss. It's not the person that's dictating what's going to be done. It's not telling people how to do their job or what to do. No, I'm the facilitator to keep me meetings moving, the chair of the meeting, which I have much experience in being chair of committees and boards. So that's not new to me in my career. Um, it's, it's that we, we work as a team and my input should be minimal on, on subject matters. The mayor should not be sitting there and going on and on about a topic because they want it to go a certain way. It's a, it's a democratic process and everyone has their turn to speak. And if it comes down to a tied vote, the mayor's the one that's gonna break the vote. Okay, that's a big responsibility, but the mayor is not the boss. The mayor is a team leader and we work together as a team. How are you going to make life in Alnwick Haldeman better compared to the last four years? Well, one of the biggest problems we've had, and, and it is a problem, it, it is a challenge as well because communicating with everyone in our township is very difficult. So one of the things I actually want to do is prepare um, open communications and set up a network an emergency network. What came through to me loud and clear from this pandemic is that there were too many people in our municipality who had no clue what was going on. They're not on the internet. There was no phone um, network of any sort. So I would like to see that we have that ability to reach out when there is something of an emergency nature to reach out to the people who do not have that access, whether we have community networks uh, and I have a plan on how to do it, so it's not something I'm I'm new to. It's something I've done in the past, so it can be done. So you say emergencies. Can you give me some examples of, or an example, at least one of what you consider an emergency that you would be reaching out through this network? Well, for example, the pandemic. I know people would maybe listen to the radio and whatever else, but they also need direction from their local government. So there needs to be. Uh, even if it's a, a automated message and there's someone that they can reach out to talk to would be ideal. Um, I, I feel that we've been a vacuum in some respects when it comes to communicating with residents. So it, it basically a, a network, a community uh, network that are you talking about a phone, are you talking about a phone tree? Sort of like a phone tree, but also one nowadays it doesn't just have to be a phone tree because even through, um, cell phones, you can do automatic messaging to entire groups of people. Mm -hmm. So those are the kinds of things. Let's utilize our technology that we already have to the best of our ability. Uh, we have an emergency number that's now been expanded, not just for public works, but I worked on this to get it expanded to include um, people who have bylaw issues after hours and on weekends, uh, if they've got major issues happening in their area. So now that public number, that emergency number can be used for those residents to phone. And then that means that bylaw can, because we have a contract position now for a bylaw officer to go out after hours, we can have that, that, that sort of an urgent um, infraction addressed immediately. So that was something that I was instrumental in getting done. Oh, the other thing for communications, very important is recorded meetings of our council meetings and our budget meetings and our, our uh, planning meetings, special meetings, everything. They're now recorded and we 
can watch them after the fact on YouTube. We did not have recorded meetings in Alma Calderman Township, and it was something I fought hard for. And I had to go through the Ontario Ombudsman. I will be quite open about that. Um, and we did get recorded meetings. So that was one thing uh, that that's really a big deal because that's the only way you can be open and transparent with your constituents. And particularly during the pandemic, nobody would have known what was going on at all. I'd like to move on to some issues now. Okay. What is your view of the Lakeport Beach development? The Lakeport Beach development is a concept of planning for more dense subdivisions that belongs in an urban setting. Alma Calderman is 100% rural township. It does not belong here. We do not have the infrastructure outside of the development, never mind what the developer says they'll pay for. We have none of the infrastructure outside of the development. I cannot support this development. I followed this process from the very first meeting when they presented to all McCollum and Council on May 28, 2021. I had many Zoom meetings and telephone calls and even had the President Sean McAdam and the Vice President Fred Briscoe come to my porch in October of 2021 after their request for an MZO was turned down by Council. They've been obviously wanting to try to change my mind, but I did a tremendous amount of research and I know because I've been following all of the issues with wastewater treatment plants and municipal services in Brighton and in Crammy. I've got quite an extensive background now of knowledge in that. I'm by no means an expert, but I do understand the pitfalls. We don't even have the staff to do it. So yeah. We're a small township, tax base wise, and that development will do nothing to actually help us. Furthermore, you, you think of the size of it. On 120 acres, they want to put in 800 units with potentially up to 2,000 population. That could have six, 600 kids easily. So there's a school <laughs> for sure. And you think it in terms of Grafton. Grafton is on five, I think it's 520 or 570 acres. And we've got a population of just under 1300. And it took 200 years to build Grafton. So to put 800 units, urban development as a new settlement area, which is prohibited by the Greater Golden Horseshoe Growth Plan, which is a provincial plan for this area from Niagara Falls all the way over to the end of Northumberland County, New settlement areas are not permitted. And a new settlement area means it's outside of the boundaries of existing hamlets or towns or cities. And so, no, I cannot support it. And I'm afraid that even the financial benefits that they're suggesting are not realistic. Their, their numbers are realistic. I won't take that away from them. I actually spoke with the consultant who did the financial study. And I said, your, your figures are reasonable. But when they say that Alma Calderman is going to get $8.2 million in development charges and the county is going to get $2.1 million for a total of $10.3 million in development charges, they make it sound like you're going to get that right away. Well, you're not. And in fact, those development charges will be spread out over the development of the subdivision itself. And so it'll come in in dribs and drabs. Development charges are allocated 
according to a special um, percentage. And so, for example, there was a time where they were saying, well, we could be rebuild the arena. Well, no, we won't be able to because the arena uh, recreation only gets 2% of the development charge charges to their reserves. So it's not like it's a great big bonus for anyone. Where it would go to would be roads and stuff. And again, it would be spread out over a very long term. Does it worry you at all that this development is so close to Cramie Township, to Colborne? And, uh, yes, what, it does. What do you think its impact is going to have between Alnwick and Cramie then? And what has to be done to mitigate that? Okay. That's a biggie. You've just done, you've just opened up a whole Pandora's box right there. In the beginning, Land Lab did approach Cramie Township to piggyback on their wastewater treatment plant and possibly water system. And Cramie cannot do that. So that was a non-starter. It didn't go anywhere. They didn't even make a presentation to council like they did to Alnwick Haldeman. So that that pretty much tells that story. So they the reality is, is that most of the construction traffic will be going through Cranny Township. They're going to bear the brunt of construction vehicles over the term of development, which, you know, it's going to be upwards of 20 to 25 years if such a size of a development was to be put in. So the roads, we have rural roads. I know there's some uh, high quality roads, uh, for example, Percy Street coming down from um, the 401 in, in Cramie Township is a solid road, but it's still going to be a heck of a lot of wear and tear with all those heavy construction equipment. That's going to also cause traffic problems for them. Uh, the, you know the network, I'm sure you're well aware of the um, road situation there in downtown Colburn. There's some crazy corners and Actually, it's unsafe, but it's safe because it's unsafe because people are really cautious. So they don't have a lot of accidents, but you get a lot of construction traffic. It's a whole different ballgame. Weather. So the other thing is everyone says it's going to be good for or they say it's going to be good for uh, jobs and stuff. Well, yeah, I think that our construction workers in our county are already going full tilt between Port Hope all the way through to Brighton. So with the development that's there, uh, yeah, how, how are they gonna, how are they gonna manage all of this? So the, even the infrastructure within Colburn, it, it may, they may have a positive spin-off from people shopping there or whatever else, but even that infrastructure won't manage that size of a development. How do you react to the county's plan for agricultural lands? The agricultural mapping plan? Uh, and yes, and also the natural heritage systems plays a very big part in that as well. And, and the growth plan, let's not forget the growth plan because the growth plan went is from 2021 through the 2051 and they're all tied together. So I have attended all of the meetings through the county going right back to 2017 when all of this started, first started. I began following all the meetings. I think that the County and the consultants have done a fantastic job. Um, Meridian in there, uh, they've done a fantastic job of pulling all of this together, making sense. 
it makes sense to people when you read it. Now, I know that some people were a little upset with the fact that some of some lands have been um, added in 13% of lands have been added or 13% has been added to the uh, natural growth or the uh, natural heritage systems and agricultural systems, which limits any de potential development for those landowners. So those 13 people affected by that or landowners affected by that had their concerns. Um, but I think it's a really sound plan and a really sound process and the, the growth plan, the way it's laid out, very thoughtfully done and makes sense. You've attended planning committee meetings, and they're often jam-packed with people looking to develop individual lots. Now, with the county wanting to concentrate development in focused places like hamlets and villages and towns, are you concerned at all that this kind of piecemeal development will be impacted? And do you think that's a bad or a good thing? <laughs> okay. So the reality is within all McCaldeman Township, we do have rural areas where there are the where there is the potential for up to three severances on a parcel of land. Once those severances have been done, though, the rest of the land remains rural or uh, yeah, rural because that's what it would be. So this is happening across the county right now in all of these rural areas because everyone's trying to get in and get their severances done before the uh, final approval of the growth plan and everything goes through at the pro provincial level. The, um, the official plan amendment at the county level has to have final approval from the province and that's in the works now. So all these people have been trying to get in there before the municipalities have to change their official plans to, co to co uh, coincide with the county plan. I can, I can speak to that for tomorrow. We have a, a planning meeting tomorrow morning and there's there's nine applications on there for consent applications for severances. So, but if it's permitted, no one can say no. Like, if there's development that comes forward in our hamlet, we can't we can't say no if it's a permitted thing under the official plan because then the person that wants to develop can come back and say, okay, I'm going to take this to court because I believe I have the right to develop here. So. Where we have the problem, and I sympathize tremendously with people who live on the Oak Ridges Moraine, or who live in areas that have been designated by the province as the great prime agricultural swaths of land that cannot be developed there to be preserved. These people are frustrated because they believe they should be able to do their one-off severance. And in some circumstances, you still can do a one-off severance, but if there's more than two, then it's, it's done, it's limited. And it's not the municipality that is stopping it. And the municipality can't go ahead and say, sure, do it, because it's a provincial, provincially regulated um, thing, whether it's under the Oak Ridges Marine Act or under prime agricultural. So I don't think it's going to really change what happens in all McCaldeman because we actually have a finite number of lots left or areas left that we can develop. And that's taken care of through to 2051. You've alluded to a couple of times in our conversation about the provincial government's ability to override council decisions in terms of development. You call them MZOs. They're the ability of the minister to override a council decision for a development. In terms of the Lakeport 
development and some of the things that you've said about individual lots, how much control do you think council is going to have? Right. Well, first thing I'm going to address is everybody who knows me, and there's a lot that know me, know that I will fight hard to protect our, prevent, our, our um, active farmlands and our rural way of life in this township. So that's, that's not even at, at issue here. I, I will do whatever work I have to do to lobby wherever I have to lobby. And I'm, and I'm not new to lobbying. I've, I've lobbied our provincial and federal governments back in the 80s and 90s when I was working. Uh, I was the chairman of the Canadian Organization of Small Business for five and a half years and the, and, and the vice chair of the national board. So I'm no stranger to lobbying and being in the public and having to speak before uh, elected officials. So that's, that's not an issue for me at all. The MZOs, I do not like the tact that this particular provincial government has taken with MZOs over the past term of council, never my term of office, and they've been reelected. The MZOs got a very bad name during their previous term of council because in the space of three years, they issued more MZOs than was done in over two decades, over 20 years, through all different governments in the prior years because MZOs were meant to be for emergency purposes, to if you needed a hospital built quickly, and they were now being used just to allow urban sprawl and allow developers to, to move in and, and build their subdivisions and things. So are you saying right now then that there is no nothing that can be done? You just- No, nope. oh no, there's stuff that can be done. So here's the next stage, what the provincial government is proposing. It's something called the Community Infrastructure Enhancement Program or something like that. What it is, it's, a, it's still an MZO in disguise, but they're gonna call it a different term, hoping that we will be gullible enough to think that this is okay. So an MZO is an MZO and by any other name, it's still an MZO and it takes away the democratic process for the taxpayers and the people in this, um, in, 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 our, in any municipality to have any kind of control over the destiny of their, their municipality. And I will take it one step further, Rob, because it's an important point that nobody's made. I've not heard anybody say this. How can we undermine the work, the extensive research, the tests, the geological tests, everything that all of these experts have done over the past two decades to ensure that we are protecting things like the Oak Ridges Moraine, the Greenbelt, all of our natural heritage systems, all of that has been done. We've spent billions of dollars doing this. What gives an elected official the right to come in and just say, boom, you don't matter. Doesn't matter what you think. We're going to go ahead and do this anyways. I have a real problem with that, Rob. I really do. What about affordable housing? What are you going to do as mayor to create affordable housing and rental opportunities for residents? I'm glad you asked that question. 
In Alnwick Haldeman, there is limited opportunity. Doesn't mean there isn't any. First of all, I think the importance is to define affordable housing because everybody is interpreting it differently to suit whatever it is they're talking about. And that to me is where we have a, have a real problem. Because so how do you do that then? How do you do that okay. then? Okay, affordable housing for me means um, subsidized housing geared, geared to income where they're, they're helped to subsidize the housing they're in. Uh, the Elgin Street project that's being built right now is a prime example. And those townhomes that are along there, they're all part of the, the cooperative housing and through the county. Indi small individual municipalities can only do, do so much. Now we do have um, one affordable uh, housing unit, the Haldeman Courts in, in Grafton, but it is not subsidized by the county or anything. This is all done through a volunteer board that helps and they work to maintain to keep the costs as low as possible for these, these homeowners. So the next step that we could do affordable housing, we, we won't be able to do affordable housing in Alnwick-Haldeman because the planning requirements prohibit putting large uh, developments in. So if we could do anything, the one thing I would, I'm also, I brought this up at a, a meeting, a public meeting we had a couple of weeks ago at, in the town hall. And it was, if we're having new developments coming in, for example, into Grafton, where I live, is there any way, and we, we, we would have to amend our official plan for sure, but is there any way, since the province has uh, mandated that secondary units, additional units in, in people's homes or their garage to be renovated, that sort of thing, is there any way for us to amend our official plan that we could allow for, um, uh, semi-detached homes, duplexes, where you could have two families living on that one acre lot. So you would if it, it essentially be doubling the growth if we did all that for all of our lots going forward. But you could make the cost of the housing a little bit cheaper as a result. Still won't be affordable. Affordable, attainable is another term that's being used. So the way I look at it, Rob, is that we our, our social fabric is getting thin. It's, it's at risk of tearing because the people that were hanging by a thread pre-pandemic fell through the pandemic. And the people that were hanging on by their fingernails, they're now hanging by a thread. So the, the, the base is growing of people requiring positive housing. As mayor, what I would do is I would be lobbying as hard as I can with um, our county and our provincial government to get the funding necessary and expand it. I mean, homelessness comes in there as well. I mean, you're, that's, it's all part of it. The township has an ambitious parks and recreation master plan. I wanna know what you think the future of the Haldeman Memorial or the Grafton Arena is in your mind. <laughs> okay, first of all, I, I chuckled when I heard that, um, a, uh, what, what was the word you used, uh, um, ambitious? Recreation master plan? Not really. In fact, the uh, strategic plan that was put into place and uh, master plan for recreation has, has actually been shelved. Uh, not much done. The community centers lost their committees. They, they were 
given letters and the committee ceased to exist. So uh, I, I'm not sure about this ambitious plan, but let's get right down to the arena. One of the biggest disservices that has been done to the residents of this township is that no council has had, I don't know if it's they're afraid or what, but they were afraid or didn't have the guts to tell people the reality of what's going on with that arena. I have been following all of the financial reports. Our asset management plan that was just approved by this council in, in June, um, for the next 10 years, there's absolutely nothing in there for capital for the arena whatsoever. At council meetings that I've attended, the councils, councillors have sat there and said, two in particular, if the pad, the ice pad goes in that arena, the arena is effectively shut down because we do not have the million to two million to three million dollars to make that to make it work again. So why they've not been told the truth, I don't know. But I'll tell you, I talked to the grade five, six and sevens. Actually, we had a great conversation. It was really cool at St. Mary's School uh, last week. And of course, the kids asked the question about the arena. So I did a little survey. I asked how many of you go to the um, go to the use the Grafton Arena, and so I'd say close to half of the seventy plus kids put their hand up. Then I said, how many of you go to a different arena outside of uh, outside of Grafton and Alma Calderman? And the other half put their hand up. Then I asked the question, how many of you are involved with the minor hockey program at the Grafton Arena? Out of all those 70 plus kids, only two hands went up. And that's the problem, Rob. The cost to run the arena is, is the most expensive recreation facility we have in our township. And it has the fewest number of users for the cost. And I did an analysis uh, two years ago and it came out being that we are subsidizing each, each person. And we know that we don't, that recreation is not something we're gonna make money on. That's not the point. But we were subsidizing each user to the tune of 580 to $630 a year. And 129 of those users, or 127 could be, I have to picture that page, and I can't right now, uh, don't even live in Arnold Calderman. Now, still, recreation is good for anybody, so we're, we're not going to say no to that. And one of the questions that came out of it was, what's going to happen to the arena if it, if it so, closes? So what are you going to do? If this is all true, what you've just outlined, yep. are you going to let it, are you going to let it carry on, or are you going to shut it down? So I'm not going to shut it down. The way that this council decided to approach it, because they got themselves into hot water. In well, how are you going to approach it? No, no, okay, I'm how am I going to approach you going to approach it, please? All right, very good. I, I will tell you how I'm going to approach it. We will be, I, what I want to do is establish a strategic plan steering committee that will sit down and formulate how we move forward on this. Now, we had an ad hoc committee that did a fantastic job and a great report, and that report got shelved. So we will blow the dust off of that, bring it forward, and we will start to work at looking at what can be done there. So as for rebuilding the arena, just as the arena, that is not going to happen because to build a new arena is between 14 and $20 million, depending on what's going in there. We will not be able to get provincial funding for that. Contrary to what some people are saying, 
because there's too many arenas within our immediate area that are not at capacity. And this was told to me by our mayor and that was told to her okay. from our MPP. All right. So, so there has been a steady increase in property taxes during uh, the last four years. In fact, consistently over many terms of council, usually it's somewhere between one and 2% using round figures. So what can you say to people listening who might be concerned about their property taxes going up? Well, you know what they say about death and taxes. Um, I don't, I'm not going to make any promises to anybody about taxes, but I can make the promise that we will do everything possible to ensure that any increases are um, as palatable as possible. Well, what does I that mean? Tell you, what does that mean, palatable? Palatable. Well, we're, we don't want to see anybody end up losing their home because they can't afford the tax increase. Uh, we, have, we have had three years of no impact. We were supposed to have our impact increase in 2020. Impact is what? Impact? <laughs> well, that's the uh, it, assessment of your, that's your property assessment. That's your municipal property assessment. MPAC is Municipal Property Assessment Corporation. Okay. And what they do is they come around and they check your home and they assess the value of your home based on current market rates. We did not get that done because the pandemic hit the year that they were supposed to be going out to do the assessments. So how's so that going to affect people's taxes? It's going to affect taxes because what's going to happen now is uh, MPAC for 2023. They're doing the assessments now. For 2023, that's going to impact what the cost of some, what the um, assessment of someone's home is. So, for example, we live here in Grafton, and I'm not going to tell exactly what our assessment is. I'm just going to use some numbers, for example. So, let's say our home is um, assessed at 400,000. Since 2020, we're still paying taxes based on 400,000. So, for the past three years, we didn't pay for what our house increased over that three year period. When those assessments come through, whatever the tax rate is, the is for the township. If we're three hundred thousand or four hundred thousand, and we're paying at this particular tax rate, and then we get reassessed at eight hundred thousand, then that and using even if it's that same tax rate, we're still going to pay more for our taxes because the value of our house. Went All right, up. that's that's the provincial system, and I appreciate you explaining that. But again, I go back to what you as mayor are going to do. What are you going to do in terms of the municipal budget? I've seen Alnwick Haldeman taxes go up nine percent. Yes, it went up time. in the first. Yeah. Yes, it did. So, so what are you going to do to control spending if if you intend to do that? Can you give a concrete answer that says what you're going to do, please? Okay, well, I have a lot of experience in accounting and analysis and background and business management. And I will bring those skills forward to help us ensure that we are going to have a solid budget and that we will be controlling spending where we can. That is an absolute given and a must because things are getting tighter and more expensive in every single area. Now, last year okay. for, for, 20, for 2022, our tax increase was 3.9%. 2.7 to 2.9% of that was all due to cost of living increase that was calculated incorrectly. There were several of us that lobbied our council, but council said, well, 
The staff had been told that they were going to get this, so we had to go through. These are areas where we want to make sure that we really, we really follow proper protocol. And people aren't expecting free handouts. People are expecting to get paid fairly, and I believe in people being paid fairly. So let's make sure we're following things that are a proper policy and proper way of doing things. Okay. When you're not running for mayor yes. or doing your advocacy, how do you relax? What do you do for fun? <laughs> um, I love music. I taught piano for over 30 years. I play the guitar and ukulele. I was pre-pandemic. I was a guitar and ukulele coach over at St. Mary's School for three years. And I, had, uh, I was giving them private lessons um, through the school and arrangement with the school, all volunteer. And uh, so music's very big. I love gardening. I absolutely, I grow my own vegetables and I prepare them and put them all down for the winter. And so we can, uh, can feed ourselves and I know it's all organic. And so that's another passion. I, my family is absolutely number one. My grandkids are my life and I spend as much time as I can with them. Why will you be a good mayor? Because I care about people. I genuinely care about people. I'm not in it for me. I've never been in this for me. I've always been the sort that likes to try and help people. Um, I believe that we can have a vibrant, strong, one community from north to south in this township. And that's what I will work hard to do by opening up the channels of communication between all levels and working as a team between the taxpayers and residents and council and staff. And, you know, let's get started. That's kind of been my statement now. Let's get started. Great call. Thank you for talking to me today. Well, thank you very much, Rob. That was Grit Cole. She's running for the mayor of Alnwick Haldeman. I want to thank my guests this week for talking to me. And I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today. Please join me again next week when we will talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life and Northumberland County. So please tune in. If you would like to listen or share this or any podcast, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. There you will find past podcasts, news, and other information about life and politics in Northumberland County. Or you can go to the radio station's website at northumberland897.ca. I'm Robert Washburn. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in, and I hope over the week you will continue to consider this. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Consider This. If you have any comments or would like to suggest a story, please contact me at considerthisnorthumberland at gmail.com or you can message me on Facebook at Consider This. If you enjoyed this podcast or are looking for more news and information about Northumberland County, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. That's consider-this.ca. And don't forget to share. And again, thank you for listening and stay tuned for more from Consider This.